Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today in the presence of God and these witnesses to join this man and this woman in holy matrimony. Marriage is a sacred union established by God between one man and one woman. It is a covenant between man, woman, and God, and it is not to be entered into lightly. Brian, repeat after me. I, Brian, take you, Carrie. I, Brian, take you, Carrie. To be my wife. To be my wife. To have and to hold. To have and to hold. For better or for worse. For better or for worse. For richer, for poorer. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health. In sickness and in health. To love and to cherish. To love and to cherish. Forsaking all others. Forsaking all others. For as long as we both shall live. For as long as we both shall live. And now, Carrie, repeat after me. I, Carrie, take you, Brian. I, Carrie, take you, Brian. To be my husband. To be my husband. To have and to hold. To have and to hold. For better or for worse. For better or for worse. For richer, for poorer. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health. In sickness and in health. To love and to cherish. To love and to cherish. Forsaking all others. Forsaking all others. Um, can you explain exactly what that means, forsaking all others? Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, I, I could do that. Um, forsaking all others is, uh, well, it's kind of a way to say that you're going to put Brian uh, ahead of everyone else. Uh, he's going to be the only man in your life. Uh, you're going to look to him before you look to others, uh, friends or family, uh, and any issues. You're going to uh, be faithful to him and to him alone. For the rest of your life and for the promises you're making today. So you're saying one man, only one man for the rest of my life. Yeah. Uh, Karen, sweetie, what's the matter? I, I just find it difficult to say that I'm only going to be with you for the rest of my life. Hold on. What, why are you saying this? Are you scared? Are you nervous? Have I done something to hurt you? Sweetie, I, I love you so much. No, no. No, Brian. It, it's nothing like that. It's You're a good man, and I love you. But I love other men as well. I mean, isn't it enough that I'm willing to marry you? I'm not marrying any of them. Can't you just take what I'm willing to give when I'm with you? I, I can't believe I'm hearing this. Now, I, I want you to love me and only me. I want you to be faithful to me and only me. I want you to be satisfied with me and only me. Is that really too much to ask? I, I can't do that. I, I don't want to do that. I mean, maybe there's something wrong with me, but that's not how love works with me. How could you possibly be everything that I need for the rest of my life? Okay, okay. Let's, let's just hold on a minute here. Uh, Brian, are you okay with this? No, Pastor. No, I'm not okay with this. This is crazy. Carrie, I, I cannot accept you being faithful to me only 90% of the time. I'm willing to give you all of my heart and all of my love for all the time. Are you willing to do the same? 
shocking, amazing, and true stories of the Bible. Today we're going to start looking at a, 
Old Testament prophetic book called Hosea. And by looking at this book, we're going to be looking at some of the extreme parts of God's character, the extreme parts of God's feelings. It's the most scandalous story found in the Bible. And when you leave here this morning, there may be a lot of things you may say about this, but boring isn't going to be one of them. It's all about God's feelings. Hosea was a prophet of God. Now, we've been looking at another prophet the past couple of weeks. What was his name? Habakkuk, that's right. Habakkuk, uh, his, his name means to embrace or to wrestle. And in the book of Habakkuk, we looked at, God, at our feelings towards God. That what do you do when you're disappointed with God? The big question of the book of Habakkuk is, what do you do when God seems unfair? And through this entire book of Habakkuk, we looked at us asking questions of God, of our disappointment with God, of our frustration with God. In Hosea, we're looking at the exact opposite. We're looking at God's disappointment with His people. We're looking at God's feelings towards us, and God is also asking the question. The question He's asking is, why do you say you love me and run around on me? Jesus asked a very similar question in Luke 6.46, and He says this, So why do you call me Lord, which means master or boss, why do you call me Lord and you won't obey me? By reading this little book of Hosea, I can really picture God sitting in a counselor's office and God sitting on the couch with the counselor asking God the question, God, tell me how you feel. And God begins to unload his feelings. I'll tell you how I feel. I feel like a jilted lover. I found my lover thin, wasted, and abused, and I brought her home and made her beauty shine. She is my precious one, the most beautiful woman in the world to me, and I lavished gifts and love and showered her with blessing. But how does she return my love? She forsakes me, panting after my friends and after my enemies. Everyone and anyone, I feel betrayed, abandoned, dumped on, and deserted. In this little book, God doesn't hide His hurt. God doesn't hide His disappointment. We learn in this little small book that God has feelings too, just like you. And just like the groom who stands at the altar... And cannot understand why his bride cannot give him 100% of her love and 100% of her faithfulness and to marry him alone. Just like that groom, God is angry. And God has every right to be angry. Put yourself in God's place. In fact, better off, put yourself in that groom's place. Would it be enough for you For someone that you are getting ready to marry in front of all of these people to say, I'm willing to be with you sometimes. I I promise you I will say I love you when I am with you. 
Is it enough? The answer is no. It's not enough. It isn't enough for a groom, and it isn't enough for God. God has every right to be angry when we substitute for God. God has every right to be angry when we substitute Him. In fact, that's our big idea today. Let's say that. God has every right to be angry when we substitute Him. When we substitute God for something else. When we substitute for God something else. God has every right to be angry. God's saying you would be angry too if your spouse chose to cheat on you. Well, I get angry every time you choose to cheat on me and put your desires and your wishes above me. But see, words just aren't enough to convey the hurt and the pain. So God chooses a prophet, chooses a prophet by the name of Hosea and says, I want you to live out a living parable. I'm going to ask you to do the unthinkable. Hosea chapter 1, verse 1, page 679 in the One Church Bible. It's right after the book called Daniel. Hosea 1.1, the Lord gave this message to Hosea. Let's stop right there. Remember, what is a prophet? A prophet is someone who gets a message from God and gives it to the people. You see, back then, they didn't have the Bible like you and I have it today. It was still being compiled. So what God would do is He said, you know what? I want you to be my microphone. And I'm going to speak through you to the people. So that's what happens. The Lord gave this message to Hosea. Now, Hosea's name, just like Habakkuk's name meant something, Hosea's name means something. It means salvation. Everybody say salvation. Hosea, Hosea's name means what? Salvation. So the Lord gave this message to Hosea, or salvation, that's what his name means, the son of Bere, during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah were kings of Judah, and Jeroboam and Joash was the king of Israel. It would be like saying, you know what, uh, this stuff happened to me, Chris, uh, and the presidents during my time were Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan, Bush, and just so on. It's how they told time. So... These are, these are the kings when Hosea was around. And Hosea's name means what? Salvation. Okay. Right. So God chose Hosea as a prophet. God chose salvation to be a prophet. The next verse is so shocking. In fact, I, I, I'm, in, there was some gasp in the first service at 9 o'clock. Hosea chapter 1 verse 2. I'm reading out the message here. For the first time God spoke to Hosea, he said... Find a whore and marry her. This whore will be the mother of your children. Go and marry a prostitute, Hosea. I want you to go and marry an adulterous woman. Find a promiscuous woman, and I want you to give your heart to her. I mean, if you were Hosea, God, what are you doing messing up my personal life? You're asking me to do what? But Hosea didn't backtalk God. Look at this. Verse 2. The first time God spoke to Hosea, he said, Find a whore and marry her. This whore will be the mother of your children. And here's why. Here's the purpose. Here's why God's telling Hosea to go and marry 
this prostitute. The whole country has become a whorehouse, unfaithful to me, God. God tells Hosea to do the unthinkable. He says, God's saying, I need a way to illustrate how I feel. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to go, and I want you to find an adulterous woman, and I want you to love her. I want you to marry her so that you will know she's going to be unfaithful to you. You need to know that up front. And I want you to know how I feel. God's saying, I want you to know the pain of my broken heart. You see, what was happening, and give you the kind of the, the background, is God called the nation of Israel to be holy. That word holy means to be unique. And the nation of Israel didn't always used to be a nation. It really is kind of one big family. And it all goes back down to a dude by the name of Abraham. There, in this culture, there were, they believed in many gods, polytheism. And just like you, you look at Romans or you look at Greeks and Zeus and Apollo and Hermes and Athena, they believed in all of these weird gods, uh, many of them fertility gods. They believed in these, the, all these cultures believed in Baal, in Marduk, in Asherah. But God told Abraham, I want you to believe not in all of those other gods, but I want you to believe in one God. His name is Yahweh. I am. You believe in me, and if you do that, I am going to bless you. I am going to make you and make your descendants as abundant as the sands on the seashore. And Abraham is, is scratching his head. He's saying, uh, I'm 100 years old, God. And my, my girl that I've been married to, Sarah, she's 90. We don't have any children. How, how is this possible? And God says, with me, all things are possible. And sure enough, God came through on His promise to Abraham. Not only promising him a, a, a son, but promising him a great nation, promised him a land. And God came through on the promises. And God told the nation of Israel, these millions of people now, that all came from Abraham over years and years and years, I am going to provide for you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to rescue, out of, rescue you out of slavery from Egypt. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to clothe you. I am going to be your God. You are going to be my people. You will love me and I will love you and I will never stop loving you. And God says, just how you feel with Hosea, this pain of her unfaithfulness, I feel with my people because they've broken what I've asked them to do. I've asked them to be holy, to be unique, and to believe one God. Not many, one. To have no other gods before me, and they've chosen to worship these idols, these other gods, these pictures, these statues of other idols. And they wanted to be like all the other nations. And God says, I just want you to worship me alone. They couldn't do it. God says, now you know how I feel. Because just as the nation of Israel can't love me, and they're two-time in me, you're going to feel that pain. Verse 2 and 3. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, He said to him, Go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. By the way, Hosea and this woman he's going to marry end up having four children. 
This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. There it is. So Hosea married Gomer. By the way, that is a woman. All right? He married Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she became pregnant and gave him a son. Hosea was obedient to God. He said, God, I don't know why you're doing this. and Actually, I do know why, but I wish you wouldn't do it. But I'm going to be obedient to you. I'm going to give my heart and my love to a woman who I know is going to be unfaithful to me. And somehow, some way, this is going to illustrate something about you and your love and your feelings and your character. Put yourself in the story of the bride and the groom. I would imagine none of you would be okay with this relationship. I promise to be with you 90% of the time. I'm faithful to you 90% of the time. None of us would marry a spouse if we knew they were going to have adultery, commit adultery. None of us would. None of us would go through with the marriage if we knew they were going to be unfaithful. Imagine that betrayal. Josh, just think about it. Do you wear your diamond ring when you lay down with him? Some of you know firsthand the pain of adultery. You know the heartache and the, the death of a relationship. But yet, the, your spouse is still living. And you, your mind plays tricks on you of what did he do with her? What did she do with him? And the, the unspeakable pain. It's like you can't even breathe. Why? For you, it may not be that you've experienced the pain of an unfaithful spouse, but you had a coworker that you were just buddies with and friends with, and you thought y'all were friends, and he or she betrayed you so that they could get ahead in the corporate ladder. They could get the bigger office with the window. And they could do, and they just, they just threw you aside and betrayed you so that they could get ahead. You know that kind of betrayal. Or maybe it, it, it's not even that for you. You had this friend that you've had for such a long time, and they just put a knife in your back and twisted it. And the, the pain and the betrayal, and God says, that is exactly how I feel. I have feelings too, God is saying. Now you know just a a fraction of the enormous pain of one person being unfaithful. Imagine millions of my people being unfaithful to me. I am hurt, God is saying. I am angry. And you would be angry too. God is is saying through Hosea, that is is my heart. To see my, my children run away from me and give their love to other gods. You know, this whole odd thing of idols, it's kind of foreign to us because if a prophet came today and said, hey, listen, I want you to go downtown and I want you to take a left on Commerce, a right on Second, and then you're going to dead end at Strawberry Alley and you're going to see this big bull, this gold bull. Stop worshiping that. We don't have stuff like that, do we? 
We don't have idols, these man-made statues that we give our love to. We don't have that. We don't have stuff like that that we give our love to, do we? Or, or, or do we? You know, we may not worship idols, but we give our love away. And we substitute God. We substitute for God something else. And by doing that, God has every right to be angry because we substitute for God something else. It's like the spouse that says, you know what? This is how many of us are as Christians. God, I love you on Sunday. I'll sing the words. I'll throw some money in. I love you on Sunday. Monday through Saturday is my life. It's my will. It's what I want to do. I want to live in my secret, uh, uh, my secret desires in the secret place in my mind that I've created it for pleasure. You know, I, 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 des- I really I love you, but I love my, my sexual passions more. I love the computer screen more than you, God. I love the romance novel more than you, God. I, yeah, you're, you say you're my security, but Lord, I, I, I find my security in my finances. And I'll come to church, but I love something else more than you, God. You're number two, three, maybe four. But I'm number one. And, and then we come to church and we sing and we're like, you know, me and God, we're okay. Let me give you a, a word of insight. You're not. You're not okay. Because just if you cheated on your spouse and, and she knew about it, he knew about it, and you came home, you wouldn't be okay. Many of you are living your Christian life living with a jilted lover, and his name is God. Because we love God and something. And we substitute for God something else. We put Him second, and me first. It's like being with your best friend and saying this, God, you know, me and you are friends and I love you, but Monday through Saturday we're whispering in somebody else's ear that I love you. What are you loving more than God? What are you loving more than God? My story's not really my story. My story is everybody's story. It's the story of how everybody's chasing something. You know, drugs and alcohol, um, you know, I never used one without the other. The drugs were the closest thing. For that adrenaline rush for me, of throwing somebody out. You know, the ball's hit, you get under it, the crowd's starting to build, the guy's tagging, the whole play just being created in front of you. And then when he's out, and the roar of the crowd, and that adrenaline rush you get. When baseball wasn't there, that's what that's what that did for me. And that's what got me addicted so quickly. There's a high when you go on stage and you see all these people, like, just loving your music and loving you and stuff and there's these girls and all these people going <laughs> worshiping me. When you see all those people just going nuts for you, it's like you know, it, it puffs you up inside. You're like you know, I'm important. That's where drugs can creep in and 
you know, cocaine or whatever, methamphetamines crept in, and it all came from after drinking for me and, and my friends, and uh, it seems like fun in the beginning. The reputation was everything for me. I set out uh, to build a good reputation and to protect it, which meant that there were parts of my life that I couldn't let anybody see. There were some battles I had to fight alone. I didn't just like porn. I became obsessed with it. And it eventually took me places I never intended to go. Those were dark years. My life got smaller and smaller. I hated what I was doing. I think we're all made for intimacy. But intimacy carries its risks. People can reject us. People can disappear. They can die. Pornography offers this artificial intimacy with no risks. So every day I said hello to the to the woman who wouldn't laugh at me anymore, who found me attractive, engaging. And every day I gave a piece of myself away. It left me emptier and hungrier every time. Anytime we pursue and we substitute for God something else, it will leave us hungrier every time. Every time we go back. Because God created us for intimacy. God is our creator, and He created us for Him. God doesn't want anything to take our love, our affection, our curiosity from Him. And for you, we may not have touched on it. For you, it may be sports. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with sports, but, you know, you spend more time knowing the stats and watching ESPN and ESPN2 and ESPN whatever, and you spend so much time there that you don't... God's not first. For you, it may be the idea of just getting married. You're a single and you so want to meet her. You so want to meet Mr. Right, and you've just created this fantasy man or woman in your head that if you know if you got married, all of your problems would go away. You know if you could just be loved. And you put that person before God, that idea. For you, it may be a status, it may be a job, it may be chasing the American dream. But we all have our little gods. We all have these little idols that we substitute for God something else, and He has every right to be angry, just like the groom and the bride. God had done so much for Israel. He took this nobody like Abraham and created a fantastic nation from him, and yet His people substituted for God something else. And God is hurt. He's hurt. He has feelings. I created them. They were meant to have a relationship and an intimacy with me, God says. And they're going off with other things that are not going to satisfy. Other substitutes that will never satisfy. And hear me. God wasn't mad 
at the Israelites. He was mad for them. He was madly in love with them. And the same God of the Old Testament who wasn't mad so much at the Israelites but for them, he was madly in love with them. He's he's madly in love with you and me. He wants your heart. He wants that thing inside of you that has a tendency to allows you to love something. And he says, I want you to choose me. I want to be the one. I want to be number one. Not number two, not three, not second, not third. I want to be first in your life. And when I'm not, I'm hurt. And I'm angry. You know what? I understand that. I, I've never experienced the pain of adultery, but you know what? I've I've been around people who've had, and you know what? In my mind and in my heart, I say, man, I hope they get theirs. I hope that unfaithful spouse get theirs. I hope they're, they're going to get what's coming. I hope he or she gets what he deserves. And you would probably say the same thing too. That's the way I feel. But you know what? God's not like us in that aspect. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I hope they get what they deserve. We would say, cut them off. You, oh, she, she cheated on you? Leave her. D- divorce her. Get rid of her. The bum cheated on you? Your girlfriends would say, you could do better. God never says that about us. He's not like us. It's like if somebody borrowed a tool from you, and the the tool that they borrowed, they gave it back to you, and it was broken and all mutilated. Do you think you'd let them borrow another tool if they asked you? What's the answer? No. You could forgive them, but you you ain't borrowing my you're not borrowing my tools. Or it may be maybe somebody you went into business with, and business was good and everything until they decided to bail and take half the money with them. Now, you can forgive them, but if they ever want to do business with you again, go into business, what are you going to say? No. Or the person who gives their heart and their life to somebody and they break it would say, no, enough is enough. No. But fortunately, our God is not like that. Even though He's hurt and He's angry, even though we substitute for God something else, we make Him second, third, or fourth, there is a never a time when God cuts us off. Ever. There's never a time where God says, I am divorcing you. I am leaving you. No. There's never a time where that happens. Ever. There's never a time where you can run past the forgiveness of God. Ever. You can't go beyond it. Some of you would give Hosea that some advice. Leave the girl. And Hosea says, I'm not going to do it. Because the whole reason I'm in this situation is I want God wanted to use me as a story. God will never leave or forsake His people, and I am not going to leave Gomer. So Hosea and Gomer end up having kids together. The first child was named Jezreel, and that name has a meaning. It means to sow. And God says, I'm going to sow all kinds of judgment on, on, on Israel because they've chosen to lust after other gods. Then verse 6 and 7, he says this, Soon Gomer became pregnant and gave birth to a daughter, and the Lord said to Hosea, Name your daughter Lo, which means not. You know what that means? This child wasn't Hosea's. 
This child is a ch- was a daughter that came from Gomer doing a trick for somebody. Name this daughter Lo Ruhama, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to the people of Israel to forgive them. God is showing us his feelings. He's gonna he's preparing to destroy Israel. No, wait. Now he's he's weeping, holding out his arms, saying, If you'll come back to me, I'll forgive you. He is sternly pronouncing judgment. Then he says, No, I love you. Come back to me. Repent. And these these sifting moods in Hosea seem hopelessly irrational and erratic to everybody else, but for those who've experienced the betrayal of unfaithfulness, it makes sense. Because God is showing His feelings. Now the third child also wasn't Hosea's child. Verse 8, And after Gomer had weaned Lo-Ruamah, she says, she again became pregnant and gave birth to a second son. And the Lord named him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. For Israel is not my people, and I am not their God. Not my people. God is showing us His feelings. And Israel has run so far away from God that they don't even feel like their people anymore. Let's look at the last verse of Hosea chapter 1, verse 10. Hosea in the Israelites, God's talking to him. Yet the time will come when Israel's people will be like the sands of the seashore, too many to count. The sands of the seashore. Where have we heard that before? Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham, remember? Thousands of years. God made a promise that I am going to make you a great people. And even though Israel broke their covenant and their promise towards God, you know what God's saying? I'm not going to break my promise towards you. A promise is a promise. And even though you've been unfaithful, I will be unfaithful. I will be faithful to you even in the midst of your unfaithfulness. And I am not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. A promise is a promise. God doesn't back down on His promise. He's going to restore them. He's going to give them mercy again. He's going to love them again. And they're going to be eventually feel again His people. That leads us, by the way, to to Gomer's name. You remember Hosea's name? What did it mean? Good, salvation. Let me tell you what Gomer's name means. Gomer's name means to put it into, to use up, or to destroy. You see, Gomer tried to put an end to Hosea's love to destroy Hosea's love for her. But you know what? Hosea's love won out. Hosea, what does his name mean? Salvation won out. Because nothing can put an end to God's salvation. Nothing can destroy God's salvation. Nothing can use up God's salvation. Some of you right now, you're saying, Chris, I've been been out of church for so long. And I, I gave my heart to God a long time ago but you don't understand what I've done. I have, I have been in the arms of other lovers besides God. And in the back of your mind, you're wondering, have I, have I ran too far? Have I used up God's grace? Have I destroyed God's salvation? And you know what God is telling you? There's not a snowball's chance. I 
still loves me. You, you can't break my salvation to you. Can't do it. And just like you would think that Hosea would divorce Gomer, God's saying, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you because nothing can bring an end to God's love, not even our unfaithfulness. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing can bring an end to God's love and salvation, not even our unfaithfulness. Romans 8.35. This is such an awesome verse. It says this, Can anything separate us from, from, from Christ's love? What's the answer to that? No. Let somebody say that. No. I am convinced that nothing, everybody say the word nothing. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Uh, nothing is nothing. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation. Now, are you in all? Would you be included in all creation? I'm sorry. What was that? Yes. If you gave your love and your heart to Jesus Christ, you can't even separate yourself from God. Because even though you let go of God, God still has a hold of you. You cannot gomer God. You cannot gomer Hosea. You cannot destroy God's salvation. Ever. 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 He says, I'm never going to give up pursuing them. Verse 10. Last verse. Then at the place where they were told, you're not my people, you're low on me. It will be said, you are children of the living God. I'm going to restore you. I know, you know what, I'm angry with you right now, but you need to know I'm not so much mad at you, I'm mad for you. I am madly in love with you. And you could be choosing me, and you are choosing, you're, you're choosing a wrong dream that will leave you empty and hungrier than before. And God's saying, I know you're going to run away again. I know that. But when you come back, God is saying, my arms are open wide. And I'm going to be looking out the window. And when you choose to, to, to turn away from all of those other things and come back to me, my love for you will not have diminished. It's greater. It's greater. You know, God isn't like a two-sided coin. God isn't like... You know, we're heads or tails. You know, most of us, we think of the God of the Bible as, you know, He's either angry or He's love. He's just or He's grace. He's not either or. He's both and. You see, the reason why He gets angry and He wants justice is because we've dumped on Him. He still loves us, though. So what does God do with His anger? I'll tell you what God did with His anger. He put His own Son on a cross and it satisfied his anger and he says you know what I'm not mad at you I'm mad for you I am madly in love with you and nothing you can do can ever change that so if nothing you can do can ever change that why are you substituting for me something you know that cannot satisfy my question I want to leave us this morning is what 
What are you loving more than God? What are you substituting for God? What is it? Today, um, uh, we're going to have a website up and running, and I'm going to put this on the screen. It's our website, but forward slash unfaithful. And here's what I'm asking you to do. I don't want you to put your names on there. It's totally anonymous. You can put your initials if you want to. I want you to go on that, and I want you to just say, what are you loving more than God? What have you loved more than God? What have you substituted for God? And I want you to type that in there. And as we continue this series, we're going to talk about that. Because you've done it, and I've done it. After you've gone to this website, I I, I want to give you another website I want you to go to. And it's www.imsecond.com. And on there, you're going to see stories like we saw today of people who put themselves and their addictions and other people's loves first and God second, and they're saying, no more. God, I am not substituting for you anything else or anyone else anymore. I am choosing to love you above everything, even myself. That's why I am second. Lord, we love you, God. And as we pray this morning... Lord, on this shocking and radical little book in the Old Testament, Lord, that you show us, you give us a glimpse of your feelings and your hurt and your passion. And Lord, the steadfastness of your commitment that even though we're unfaithful, you will always be faithful for you are God. You were before time, before the world began. You are God. God, you are faithful. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray.